The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount. Coming down the escalators at Sydney Airport, there was this huge video sign, Welcome Back Melbourne, we've missed you. It was really quite emotional. There's just a different feel, different thing that fuels both cities, that we're quite comfortable in our boring, flat Yarra River skin, whereas Sydney somehow wants what we have. They write so well about young people and their insecurities and what you see on the outside and what is going on in the inside. This is why I loved Megan coming out and talking about this openly because what it reminds us is that you've actually had a loss in your family and you need people to rally around you. And if people do know, they need to know that this is a very difficult time and they need to feel comfortable saying to you, I'm with you, I'm sorry, what can I do? Which item died in 2020? Well, for me personally, the handbag did not touch one from March onward. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome to episode 154 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin in the Melbourne studio with Miss Jane, and we are talking down the line via the little screen to award winning journalist, keen movie watcher, gifted gardener and now interstate traveller Caroline Wilson joining us from Sydney, Caro. Hey, Corrie. Hey, Miss Jane. Hello, everyone. Lovely to be here again. You're not here, really. Truth be told, you're sitting up in sunny Sydney. Corrie, we're a nation. We're not a series of states. Enough division, thank you very much. I've had enough of that up here. But I would say that um, as we sit here today, it's the 33rd day in a row that we've recorded no new coronavirus cases in Victoria, and that is a good reason for celebration. Not so good for the Swedish royal family and Lewis Hamilton and others who have um, come down with the dreaded illness, but um, great news for Victoria. It is great news for Victoria, and I think uh, next week when you're back in the chair here, Cara, we will have an extended mixed version of lockdown, how we're coping, what's happening, and, of course, the inquiry into the hotel quarantine matter will be coming to a head just before Christmas, so we might um, say a bit more about that. But firstly today, our apologies and our housekeeping and our listener feedback, my favourite part of the podcast because you guys get to talk to us. Caro, there was so much love in the room for last week's guest, Nick McKenzie. He's always a great guest, but at a particularly good moment, given um, the vindication, really, after all the really poor treatment he'd received from the Crown Board when the New South Wales government deferred that decision about the new casino and, of course, the Brereton um, report into atrocities, really war crimes, committed against Afghanistan by Australian soldiers. So um, the court case with Ben Robert Smith is still going that Nick is involved in, the VC winner, who um, may or may not be in a bit of trouble. It was just riveting to hear such a gifted journalist, probably or definitely, I reckon, the best journo in the country, talk about his moments of self-doubt and concern and his love of what he does. No, it was, it was, it was great. It's great to have him in. We'll have to get him in, in, in when he's broken another great yarn. Well, he certainly generated a fair bit of mail, including one from Kerry Smith via email. Hi, Corrie and Caro. I'm a regular listener and loved your discussion with Nick McKenzie in the most recent episode. I taught Nick in his days when he was a student at Melbourne High School. He was very smart and spirited, quite cheeky actually, but in the best possible way, which I enjoyed. I knew he'd make his mark, says Kerry, and he certainly has with his robust reporting and many awards. Warm regards and many thanks to you for providing such a rich listening experience. And Caro, Gus Frankie Fam, Gus underscore Frankie underscore Fam via Instagram said, fantastic episode, one of my all-time faves of the podcast. Would love you to do more of these with your journo colleagues. Nick is a shining star. Thanks, ladies. Well, Caro... I don't know about you, but a whole lot of, of journo colleagues want to come on the podcast. I'm frequently asked, or there are sort of quiet suggestions from friends in the industry, they would love to come and have a chat with us. Maybe we could um, start charging them to come. On. I don't know. I, um, but we have had a few in the. We have had quite a few in the past. We've had Kerry O'Brien, and we've had Annabelle Crabb. Who else we've have we had? had Gary Linnell. 
We've had a lot of journos. Yeah, Kai. Mike Sheehan. Jeff Slattery, you would count as a journo, um, although he's many other things as well. No, we've had lots of other – we've had lots of journos, and um, well, they probably should be – we should probably – no, they should be charging us, I reckon, for their time. But, no, Nick was riveting and um, just, a, yeah, very, very impressive. Um, so there was – Kate Chalk from Adelaide sent us a graphic, Cara, of her GPS tracking her gardening while listening to the podcast. So she actually just – had us, um, she had us uh, on her phone while she was in the garden, but somehow her GPS had this little. So there's this incredible, it's like a child's drawing, a, a two year old's child's drawing, all around the garden as she was moving. And she covered a remarkable six kilometres. Grateful for your podcast while I toured my garden this morning, says Kate. Although, as an ex Melbourneian now living in Adelaide, thumbs down to Melbourne, our Adelaide Oval, our beautiful hills to walk in, our sandstone suburbs for far outweigh Melbourne's traffic. I love Melbourne and all my friends and family are there but can understand why everyone is moving to the Bellarine and Mornington Peninsula. Thank you. Your podcast is a highlight of my week. Oh, thanks, Kate. That's a lovely message. And having suffered the traffic the last couple of weeks, boy, oh boy, Carol, I don't know what Sydney's like, but Melbourne has come out of lockdown and it's hit the roads. There is traffic, but nothing like normal. There is still a lot less people in the city of Sydney. I went into the city yesterday to have lunch with an old friend. It's crowded again, but it's not crazy. But, gee, it's very strange to be walking around, not a mask to be seen, Corey. Well, that's not true. A few masks, but just a beautiful city. And there is a feeling of freedom up here. Well, let's talk about your uh, little holiday mini break. Well deserved, off to Sydney. In fact, anybody who's been in lockdown in Melbourne deserves a holiday, whether they've been working hard or not. I reckon it's been that kind of a year. But tell us about um, tell us about the different feel in Sydney. I bring this up, Caro, because I recall having a conversation with my son Will when he was in the AFL bubble. As you remember, on the Gold Coast, he was up there for about six or eight weeks, working prior to the grand final and over that grand final weekend. And he said it was just extraordinary, the people on the Gold Coast who had no idea about Melbourne's lockdown, which at the time was at its most severe, as we remember. We couldn't gather. We you know, we could only go out to exercise. We could only stick to the five-kilometre radius. And Will said people up there were just shocked, <laughs> shocked by the behaviour of Melbournians or the restrictions on Melbournians. What's it like up in Sydney? Well, they certainly understand what we've been through. In fact, it was quite emotional getting off the most crowded flight, I think I, it was so weird getting on a crowded plane last Friday night with Clem, my daughter, um, not a spare seat. The airport completely deserted and then you get on a plane and there's not a spare seat and you are all crammed together, albeit wearing masks, but they're serving wine and food and it was weird. And then coming down the escalators at Sydney Airport, there was this huge video sign, Welcome Back Melbourne, we've missed you. And... Um, it was really quite emotional. It was emotional. It made me feel. It was. It was like I have. T- I, have t- I have tears as it you're telling lovely. me this. I'm quite there, emotional. There's a, there's a lot of. Um, Thank you, Sydney, for the love. Thank you, Sydney. The, the Melbourne Sydney rivalry is absolutely been underscored by this, and I think that's going to happen in every state and reflected in your Adelaide email before. I mean, state pride has become a a good thing, but too much, I reckon. There is an enormous, absolute dislike of Daniel Andrews, complete bewilderment that he's doing so well in the polls. Gladys Berejiklian is a heroine and everybody just seems to absolutely love her. I mean, she's had a few political missteps in recent weeks, but that is not bothering anyone at all. Are they talking so, and, Are they talking much about the ICAC inquiry findings with her relationship? No, not really. And pork barrelling, well, I mean, every everyone in politics does that, so I'm not about to judge her for that either. But, you know... Look, it is just amazing. There is a feeling that Sydney is so much better than Melbourne. And it is a beautiful city, but you know, you've always known my views. I've got most of my family here. We've got two great cities, and I've never really seen the need for comparison. Obviously, geographically, this place is just... Being, we went out on the harbour on Saturday, Corrie, and it was just spectacular. Boiling hot day, beautiful water, everyone out and about. Um, and, yeah, just a bit of – I had an altercation with a woman, actually, who I didn't have an altercation. When she heard I was from Melbourne, I was telling the barista, who I knew, at Alimentari in Paddington, she said, oh, you're out of jail and that dreadful man and da-da-da-da-da. And I, and I said, oh, well, look, 
it's funny how the rivalry's really been rekindled. She said, no, it hasn't. It's not a rivalry. It's just that you're – anyway, it, there's a lot – there's a, probably uh, – maybe they deserve to be smug. They handled contract tracing better than we did. They did a really good job um, in keeping the numbers down up here in Sydney. They had moments of luck that Victoria didn't have, but obviously things were probably managed a bit better. And um, I would have thought – but other people have been incredibly supportive and said thank you. Thank you for the hard work you've done. You've done it on behalf of Australia. So uh, my big takeout is is the interstate rivalries and the divisions that I think have been led by the premiers around the country. And I hope that is not something that is – Excuse me, is not a legacy of Corona for years and years to come. Well, I think I think that's a really good point that you've made there. My mum lived in Sydney for a while in the late seventies, early eighties, and so that's when I really got to know Sydney because I was living down here. So I spent a fair bit of time going back and forth, and uh, spent a lot of time at the Double Bay Shopping Centre. I remember looking at frocks. For her, not me. <laughs> but um, she, but Mum always used to say, uh, and I think she was spot on actually, that Mel- with the rivalry thing, Melbourne people openly praise Sydney. We always talk so generously about its beauty, its harbour, uh, well, certainly back then, its internationalness and its cosmopolitan feel. But Sydney people, Mum used to say, just kind of bitch and moan about Melbourne. It's weather, the bay, its flat geography, the the dark and boring Yarra River. Um, and she used to think that it was like a, they had a chip on their shoulder because Sydney was a convict, essentially a convict settlement, whereas Melbourne was more of a gold rush slash Western District sheep grazing settlement. And that we have a kind of a, 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 a not so much a gravitas, but there's just a different feel, that, that it was a different thing that fuels both cities, that we're quite comfortable in our boring, flat Yarra River skin, whereas Sydney somehow wants, I don't know, what we have, which whatever that may be, I don't know what it is. They certainly don't at the moment. What um, has been wonderful is the, uh, the bottom line is seeing family again, some of whom I haven't seen for nine months, some of whom I haven't seen for six months. Gee, it's been nice to see everyone again. My nephews have moved into a great new apartment near the beach and we've been swimming in the rocks at Tamarama. And, you know, tonight my sister's taking me to an art opening at the National Gallery involving Arthur Streeton and a new collection of his works that was written up in the Weekend Australian last weekend. Look, it's, it is it is it is a true holiday, Corrie, and I would recommend anyone just to leave the, the you know, the radius of wherever they've been because it's so nice to be somewhere different. Oh, well, I'm very envious of you and um, give my love to all the family up there. And how is that little great niece of yours, Frankie? Oh, little Francesca, we found a great new um, place down at Rushcutters Bay yesterday. Our friend Bill took us to. I think it's called the Army Bar. Next to it, It's like a naval club and it's just now become yet another beautiful place to have a coffee right on the water, harbour in the background, um, Sydney Harbour Bridge in the background, um, no, look, it was he's he's a beautiful little thing, and he was great out on the boat the other day. And he was um, my my brother-in-law Tony has this great he shares a, this amazing old passenger ferry with a few other families that is famous for breaking down. And of course, it did again on Saturday. It was hysterical, but we had such a fun day. And Francesca is just lovely. He's nearly two. Well, send us so, lots of happy snaps for our Instagram account, which is don't shoot. Uh, Pod, I think, is yeah. Don't shoot pod is the Instagram account, so everybody can look at Caro's um, happy snaps. I remember Caro, you're talking about the Harbour Bridge. I remember uh, Bill Bryson, I think it was, in his terrific book about Australia years and years ago, written years ago. He wrote about the Harbour Bridge. He described it as as like an annoying, slightly tipsy great uncle at a wedding, who which always has a tendency to bob up in the background of every lovely Sydney shot you ever photo you ever take, which is kind of true. Whenever you're just walking along either side of the harbour, you just get a little glimpse of just one part of the coat hanger. It's quite it's quite funny. I agree with that. They've got a lot better. Well, you know, over the years, like Melbourne, the walks have got so much better. Corrie and tomorrow our friend Mary and I are planning on walking from Manly to Clontarf which is my sister my sister who has been the hostess with the mostess she's been so lovely and so looking after me but um 
she did it the other day and she said we have to do it. So that's a 10K walk, which Fantastic. I hope to report back next well, week. Well, I want you also to do a bit of a recce up there for the Cornballs because we're talking about uh, having a Cornish walk, not in Cornwall next year, but in Sydney. And there's a terrifically long walk you can do for on one part of the harbour, isn't there? So I want you to do the recce on that. This is probably one of the best ones. Lovely beaches on the way. Um, no, the walks have been great. I've, you know, the one thing about where I am, there's a lot of hills. Those steps are a lot harder when you're in a... And all all roads lead down to the down to the harbour and up to the harbour. You have been to the movies and, in fact, you've seen a great movie. I'm dying to hear about it, but we're going to put it on to next week when you're here so we can have a proper discussion yep. in person. Carol, I was just thinking about... Um, you travelling to Sydney and, of course, you probably have seen in the news the last few days that all the borders are, 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 are lifted and uh, Victorians are travelling and everybody's travelling and Queensland's tourism, for months they've said, go away, Victorians, we don't want you here. They're now saying, please come, please come. And tourism locally has just is just going through the roof, which is such fantastic news. And so I started thinking again about mm, road trips. Now, as everybody knows, I had to cancel again my week in Port Ferry. The poor people whose place that we're renting, this is the fourth time that we're changing the dates to next year. But anyway, Port Ferry and the Western District to see family is definitely on my road trip agenda. And I'm also really keen to do the whole bright um, and King Valley, all that kind of area as well, maybe even in autumn when the autumn leaves come out. And then the third one I wanted to do is Margaret River and the golf courses there. So I'm wondering oh, whether we might yes. be able to uh, to persuade you and your husband, Brendan, because I know, of course, you love golf so much. <laughs> you might come over for three or four days with us and you could you know, do shopping or walks or something and we'll play golf. But those would be my top three road trips at the moment. Have you got a little selection? Several. The South Australian coastline, and I'd, I'd leave from Melbourne, probably the Great Ocean Road, all the way, end up at around Victor Harbour and that area. I'd just love to do that. That um, Is it the Fleurier Peninsula? Yes, that's right. Because I've... I've never done. I've never done that drive. Have you ever been to, to Robe go, before? Yeah, Robe's beautiful. I love Robe. Well, it, it is. It's lovely. But that whole Fleurier Peninsula—that's an ambition. End up in Adelaide for a few days and stay at that smart new hotel that they've built on the edge of the Adelaide Oval. It looks absolutely brilliant. The other one is. Um, I want to go back to the Sapphire Coast. I just think that is the most beautiful part of Victoria and New South Wales. Go down. Via Bensdale, stop probably there for lunch, you know, through past Mallacoota, past Tathra, and end up somewhere around. Um, well, Bermagui has just become the new place. It is just such a fantastic town, Bermagui. And Tilba, um, I had lunch with a very good friend from Tilba yesterday, and she tells me that their halloumi cheese is the best in the world because we ate halloumi cheese at lunch. And that whole area is just booming. So that, that would be my second. And I think, well, I am going to Yamba. I plan to go there in February. So north coast of New South Wales again, Corrie, that's just unbeatable as well. Well, who needs Italy, Caro, when you can go to Bermagui, I say. And um, I just wanted to mention... Uh, Tasmania, Tasmania, sorry, I should have said. We oh, need yeah, to that's a given. We all need to go to Tassie. There's no doubt about start, that. Start in Hobart and just do that whole beautiful coastline. I've, the, the one walk I haven't done that I want to do is the Freysenay walk around Coles Bay. That's one that I've still on my list. Sorry. Keep oh, going. no, I was just going to say that our, one of uh, one of the two sponsors of our little podcast, uh, one being Prince Wine Store, and we'll talk about them soon, but also Click for Vic. I have to uh, remind potties that Click for Vic uh, is one of the great websites that has come out of the whole COVID um, lockdown matter. And it's all about supporting local, regional and also Melbourne CBD businesses. And they have a section there on Click for Vic Caro, which is accommodation and holiday destinations. And it's really, really worth having a look at. There's a lot of little bespoke guest houses. There's seaside resorts. There's mountain retreats. There's all sorts of stuff. So if anybody's thinking of a Victorian holiday, uh, have a look at the Click for Vic website. Now, can we just... Um, you and I were desperate last week to dissect The Crown because we'd watched all the episodes. But, of course, we felt a bit shy with Nick, who is such an important award-winning journalist. We didn't want to really reveal our true colours as 
completely obsessed by a television series. Oh, you would have enjoyed that. It's a major. That was a major. I was. I was series. way too embarrassed. But I just. Um, I think now, given that a lot of potties are uh, have embarked on the crown journey, indeed, many of them will have binged it like you and I have. Um, what for you were the key themes and issues that came out of series four? That shocking mistreatment of Diana Spencer and the need in the end. And, and I've never felt I've never felt really strongly before about the republic. I've never you know, it's funny, I've never felt the desperate need for us to become a republic. I certainly don't think it will happen in the Queen's lifetime and neither it should, but that series has done a lot of damage for Prince Charles. I'm really disappointed that apparently Camilla's social media has been attacked. I mean, I don't think Camilla really comes out to me as the bait and wire in this. Prince Charles does in allowing a man in his early 30s to be so browbeaten and beaten down by his family as to marry this ingenue who had absolutely no idea of what she was being thrown into. I know there's been a retaliatory act on behalf of Charles and Camilla to say this is so one-sided, this series, and so unfair, and there were two sides, and Diana wasn't perfect, and blah, blah, blah. But Corrie, you know, she was, a ch- as Charles said, she was a child, and it was just so dreadful what happened to her. And we know there's one more series coming, and we all know what's going to happen. And despite whatever she may have become and whether she might have enjoyed the limelight, you know, the Queen warning her about not enjoying it too much and all that sort of stuff, yeah, that, that was, it just shocked me all over again. Well, it's quite interesting, really... isn't it, that they, they in series uh, th- uh, two and three, they really do build up Charles to be, uh, our sympathies are with Charles. So you see Charles who has, a, 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 who is desperately seeking a loving relationship with his mother and a close and mentoring relationship with his father. Philip thinks that Charles is weak and dismisses him at an early age, favouring Anne, who is stronger. And we know from various biographies and everything that Philip's view is that Anne would have made a much better monarch, future monarch than Charles will. But um, our sympathies grow and we get to series four and episode by episode, the, the tables turn on our uh, sense of who Charles is and what he is. And it's really interesting, Caro, the way the royals have, I don't know whether it's the royal family or it's actually um, the Clarence House, uh, Duke, uh, you know, Prince of Wales and Duchess of Cornwall mob who have activated these or whether it's the wider Buckingham Palace mob. But um, Sarah Gristwood, who is a royal affairs commentator and broadcaster and historian on uh on royal matters, said the word is that the royals have rather liked the crown so far, but this season has gone down badly. And then palace insiders have told the Daily Mail, I love, who who are these palace insiders? Footmen? Secretaries? Who are they? And they say, friends of Prince Charles launched a blistering attack on the crown, accusing producers of the hit Netflix drama of, quote, trolling on a Hollywood budget and presenting fiction as facts, which uh, is probably a worthy and true call, I would suggest. Not in the wider scheme of things, Corrie. I mean... But there are a lot of there are a lot of things that didn't happen, Caro, that we know. For example, Troy Bramston in The Weekend Australian was wrote a terrific piece in defence of Bob Hawke, and, um, who doesn't come over very well uh, in this whole episode. I can't remember which episode it is, four or five or whichever one in series four. And Troy Bramston highlights half a dozen complete... Uh, facts that have been overlooked by the screenwriters in this, and he's talked to people such yes. a, who who have who've wor- who worked in Hawke's office at the time, who have just said that actually isn't the way it happened. And that Four Corners episode, the screenwriters left out a whole part of uh, Hawke's pre-election, just before he became prime minister. His whole they asked him about his view on the republic. They left out a whole lot of it, including Hawke saying, "I think we should stay as things are until the death of Queen Elizabeth." You know, things are okay now. Yeah. So so for me, that is fiction. Certainly there are pieces all the way through that are wrong and inaccurate. But the overall, um, the overall conclusion that a 19-year-old woman was pretty much earmarked by the royals and Charles was forced to marry her is true. And as I say, we, we know what happened. And the, 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 um, 
I didn't actually mind Richard Roxburgh's Bob Hawke. And no, and, he, and he's didn't... played him before too. He does, he does a good Bob Hawke, yeah. but he was just given a, a, a shocker of a script, I believe. And and a lot of the stuff about what happened in Australia is true as well. Although they were the people who own that lovely property in New South Wales, and and, the, and their friends are upset because it comes across as a, you know, outback dust bowl when it's really one of the most beautiful historic properties. But um, I, I also, yeah, you, you're mentioning in Prince Charles his insecurity, mm. his insecurity, and not so much of the stuff. And and even those who defended him have said he's a much different person now than he was then. And clearly, he's now a lot more comfortable in his own skin with the woman he loves, doing the work that he loves, and his sons are proud of him again, particularly um, Prince William. So all of that is absolutely fine. But it did make me think along. And, you know, we were talking about this yesterday in a conversation, myself and a friend, along with the Palace Letters scandal and the fact that it took us so long to for them to be revealed does make you really think about what we're doing with England. Anyway, look, totally. I, I, was, I loved it. I, thought, I absolutely loved it. I thought some performances were better than others. Princess Margaret clearly was a, a bit of a cow, but, you know, her, her learning about um, the Boslin relatives and the fact that there'd been this um, so-called gene the royals didn't want publicised, so they hid away relatives pretending they were dead in an institution. I mean, that that shocked me. I had no idea about that. It does portray really well, I think. All the series actually have portrayed Margaret that, that what we know, again, through biographies and so on, is that Margaret decided to... She gave up love with Peter Townsend for the office of Princess Hood and then she made constant sacrifices throughout her life for not only her own um, status as a princess and her comfort and all the all the trappings that come with that, but also because she had an innate sense of duty to the family and to her sister. And I think that comes through. But gosh, I mean, what a mess it made of poor Margaret's life. Caro, I have, uh, like you, I've had lots of discussions with friends and family about um, <laughs> about <laughs> the crown. In fact, I went up to Ballarat on the weekend and um, Francesca's first words were, I cannot wait to have a session with you about the crown, which of course we did. Um, yeah. But I just, um, and this is not a sort of a plug for the bookshop or anything, it's a plug for a book. If you want to read more on on issues and and, and matters that are touched in Series 4, people must go and buy a copy of Rebel Prince, The Power Passion and Defiance of Prince Charles by Tom Bower. This biography came out a couple of years ago. I reviewed it for the podcast. I still think it really stands up because the sources and the research are impeccable. So that's Rebel Prince um, near a good bookshop near you. Now, Caro, the other thing, of course, that this raises, the crown raises for us is the Diana experience versus the Megan Meghan Markle experience and the many parallels. And I don't know about you, but watching these uh, increasingly menacing and disturbing episodes about Diana um, really did make me think a lot about William and Harry, the impact of their mother's death on two young boys and particularly Harry being younger and uh, always having a difficult relationship with the press, that somehow this is really what has fueled the decisions that he and Meghan Markle have made regarding their future and the upbringing of their child and how they want to live their lives. It suddenly becomes a bit more clear to me. And you know that yes, I'm on their side rather than the anti-side. You know I'm fans of Harry and Meghan. I'm not quite sure where I stand. I certainly think they deserve their own life and they are. if they go and live elsewhere, good luck to them. Um, I read with interest... Um, Megan's essay, which was publicised last week, revealing that she'd had a miscarriage recently. I thought it was really well written, but the one thing I was going to ask you, and I know this is a really personal subject, she said, and people have said since, that, you know, isn't she wonderful? And there's a parallel with Diana again, because she desensitised, she um, demystified AIDS, for example, hugging AIDS sufferers and um, people suffering from HIV and the landmine experience. I, I wasn't. I wouldn't have said that miscarriage is a taboo subject. I would have thought people discuss miscarriages all the time and there is an enormous amount of mis, uh, sympathy surrounding those who do suffer from miscarriages. Do you think that it's a subject that needed to be raised? I mean, uh, good on it for writing it, no issue, but... 
I wouldn't have thought that was something that people are embarrassed about discussing. Well, mm, it's interesting. Having had three myself, but again, this was over 20 years ago and things were different then. And observing young people I know who have had them in, in recent times, in the last couple of years, I think there is a big difference. But from my experience back then, it was a very difficult subject not only to talk about and admit, because in a sense you are you do feel a failure, there's no doubt about that, even though every medical fact, everything that every person says to you, whether it's your mother or your doctor, uh, this is not about you, this is just what happens, little babies turn up their toes and they disappear, this is not their time to come, you do have a strong sense of, did I do something wrong, um, am I a failure? It's a very, it, it is a, a very, it can be for a lot of women a very, very difficult time. And it's not something that you, I certainly felt that I could talk about freely. Although, with all three of my pregnancies, which were, you know, somewhere between 19 weeks and 13 weeks, it was pretty evident that I was pregnant. So I had to sort of actually deal with that. It wasn't that I could do it privately. But I think also there's a reticence on behalf of people to talk about it, they don't know how to bring it up. And my advice, I, this is why I loved Megan coming out and talking about this openly, because what it reminds us is that you've actually had, you've actually had a loss in your family and you need people to rally around you. And if people do know, they need to know that this is a very difficult time and they need to feel comfortable saying to you, I'm with you, I'm sorry, what can I do? And you need to be able to have a cry with them and tell them honestly what you're thinking. And I think the more people bury it away, the more unhealthy it is. I certainly agree with that, but I didn't find that to be our experience. I mean, we talked about it a lot. I suppose we were close friends and we were having children around the same time. You and, you and I, Carol, were in a completely different space with this because you, as you know, yeah. you were my probably my one girlfriend confidant. With one of those pregnancies, the one I lost at 16 weeks, you and I, you were pregnant with Ned. And so you yeah. and I were like, we were planning bringing up our babies together. And then all yeah, of a sudden, and so 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 my feeling then was to withdraw from you, and that was difficult. And and um, but we still kept talking, and also we worked together. And you know these these three pregnancies that I lost happened when you and I were deskmates. So you know, yeah. but I think you and I were very different. You know, with a lot of girlfriends, I didn't share it. My mother lived interstate, and once she'd sort of done the, you know, the mopping up and looking, at, she went back to live in Queensland. So there was no older woman I could turn to, and I've learned a lot of lessons through that time. And there are a lot of people who do now talk to me about their own miscarriage, or in fact, if their daughters had a miscarriage, and. I don't know, I'm not saying that I've become a little bit of a mentor expert on this by any means, but I like the, having the conversations because I think it's very healthy. And also, Caro, really healthy for men to start talking about it. Really yeah, because healthy. they suffer as well and they get no sympathy. I do think that. And wasn't that lovely in Megan's essay when she talked about Harry and her in the hospital holding hands, you know, and both of them are crying. I mean, I, I felt really moved. I, th no, I thought it was a pretty good move on her part. So um, uh, just on the just our final thing on the crown, Carol, we had a lovely message from Anna Webb via Facebook, one of our listeners. She said, hi, Carol and Corey. I, too, am loving the latest season of The Crown, but I've also discovered The Crown Official Podcast, which is a fantastic behind-the-scenes look at this latest season. I highly recommend it to all the other potties out there. Love, Anna. I didn't know. <laughs> Look at this. Spin-offs. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Great tip. You don't have to listen to us banging on. You can actually listen to the official podcast. No, bring on, bring on series six. Is it series five or six coming up? No, series up? five, and they say that's going to be the last one. It's going to end oh. in the year 2000, which, of course, is uh, – I think it was in 2000 when Queen Mother and Margaret die within months of one another. So, yes. anyway, oh, on no, we go. Can't wait. Can't now, wait. Caro, we're going on to the cocktail cabinet. <laughs> Oh, let's have another drink. God, Jane, it sounds like... Jane, Jane's soundtrack, it sounds... Jane, were you just breaking glasses in the dishwasher there? No, it was an official um, an Art Deco drinks trolley sound effect. I feel like I'm in a Matt, Matt Helm movie from the 60s. Brilliant, Jane. Now, Corrie, thanks to Prince Wine, 
We are going to both reveal our favourite summer cocktail. Do you want to go first and talk a bit about our wonderful sponsor? I will talk about our wonderful sponsor. So Prince Wine Store brings our Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. They deliver all around Australia. And, Caro, I am here to tell you I have just placed an order for a dozen mixed bottles of wine to get us through the next, I'd like to say, couple of months, probably a couple of weeks. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a good Methodist girl. We don't drink. Uh, but, Caro, it's been amazing because they they connect with you um, via, uh, you know, they have a little questionnaire and they, they really connect with you and they build a relationship with you online and I now feel like they're my new best friends. So my wine, I think Tony, who's coming in next week, um, Tony has offered to uh, – deliver this for me, but you can actually have it delivered to your home or you can go and pick it up from the actual Prince wine store. But Caro, my uh, cocktail for summer, which will come as no surprise to you, is the Campari and grapefruit juice with a piece of lime inside it and heaps of ice. I've been living off this one for years. The old soother. So this came about years ago when Caro came around to my house with her kids and my kids. I suppose the older girls were, what, about 13 or 14. We just seemed to have, well, there were six kids, you and I, and I said, here, have one of these mother's soothers. <laughs> we sat outside and had this drink. I think we might have had two or three. <laughs> yeah, we might have. As while the kids were, were causing havoc, yeah. So that would be mine. Well, well, my, mine is... Um, Can I just also add, sorry to add, sorry to interrupt. I just have to say that this, this drink, the Campari and grapefruit juice, is uh, a beautiful colour as well, especially if you Pink put the lime. Yeah, we should add. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, well, mine is in tribute to my sister Moggs, Amelia Faye, who I'm staying with at the moment. It's her favourite cocktail and it's one of mine and it is perfect for summer, the French 75. Um, it does in- require making a sugar syrup and a cocktail shaker, but the the simple syrup is so easy to make, just sugar and water, boil it up, let it cool. Um, 60 mils of – it's a gin and champagne cocktail, basically. I mean, my two favourite things, no wonder it's my favourite cocktail, 60 mils of gin, 20 mils of lemon juice, 15 litre, um, mils litres. of – Litres. <laughs> litres, not I – mean, no, not litres of sugar syrup, 15 mils of sugar syrup, and just shake it all up in the cocktail shaker, tube shaker, Pour it into a champagne flute and topped with chilled champagne, garnished with a piece of lemon peel. Yum. Wow. Wow. And you can buy all the ingredients, well, obviously the gin and the champagne, from Prince Wine. And how do we get in touch with Prince Wine, Corrie? We can email them. We can call them on the telephone too. uh, But you can visit their website and you can order from their website, Prince Wine. Well, sorry, I've lost it. Princewinestore.com.au. Caro, just on that cocktail of yours, so it's quite bubbly or fizzy? It's fizzy and lemony, oh, but it's got fab. the little amount of gin at the bottom and it is, it's not too sweet. It is absolutely perfect. We discovered it, well, I discovered it on a holiday um, with Mogs years ago in Byron Bay and I've been hooked ever since. Great so, cocktail. So next week, Carol, we're going to be joined by Tony back here in the studio. And when you return, we're going to have a long chat with him about his choice of cocktails, which are terrific over summer. So I hope everybody will tune in next week as well. And thanks, Prince Wine Store, for sponsoring our little podcast and bringing wine enthusiasts to the great wine in the world. And if you're not in Melbourne, they can deliver Australia-wide. Perfect for the festive season gift options as well. Visit princewinestore.com.au, use the promo code MESS, M-E-S-S, as in Messenger, at the checkout and you will receive a special listener discount. And of course, Miss Jane will have all of the links to Prince in our show notes as well. So that um, I'm looking forward to next week talking more about cocktails. Caro, I have a crush and I'm not sure whether you know these people, whether you're familiar with them, but my crush is... Uh, Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton of The High Low, which is a podcast that's been going for four years. And next week they are recording their final episode. This will come as a shock to a lot of people. So, well, they have, they made a commitment last year because they're, they're, uh, they're girls in their early thirties, they're journalists and commentators and they're writing books. 
and they have a furious amount of work that's happening. Their careers are taking off, unlike yours and mine, who <laughs> are in a bit of a twilight time. But um, so, in fact, somebody somebody once said to me, "Oh, you're like um, Paul, you're like Pandy and Dolly." Uh, just a little bit, you're like a little bit older, like their older sisters, and I said probably more like their mothers. But that's uh, you know, I'll take the compliment. Thanks very much. But Carol, I don't know whether you've ever listened to an episode of the High Low, but I'm addicted. My daughters and daughter-in-law are addicted. A lot of my girlfriends, or our, our girlfriends, girls you and I share of our age group, they just cover such a range, and men and women too. Listen. And they talk about the sort of stuff that you and I talk about, basically weekly pop culture. A bit of news in there as well. Uh, there's lots and lots of funny moments. They do some really good guest interviews, but they cover the trivial, the political. Um, they talk everything from Trump politics to Boris Johnson and his latest muck up to, you know, who they love on the crown. They really are terrific. They've recorded just over 150 episodes in those four years. They have had 27 million downloads. And they do record, which you can still download and just keep listening to them forever, 35 author specials. Authors are their special subjects. So you've had some really great authors over the years. Highly recommend them. But they're leaving. But I just wanted to say that they were one of the first girl gangs, you know, pairing duos to get together. And they took a big leap of faith, as did whoever supports them with their podcast. And I'm really sorry to see them go. So that's my crush for this week. Yes, Great podcast. You're right, Corrie. Um, well, I'll introduce our next segment, which is BSF, Books, Screen and Food, because I want to talk about a wonderful book I've read. I've read a couple of great books since um, I spoke to you last week. I'm back reading again, thank God. You know the footy season's over when I can talk about books again. But um, Anna from the Op Shop put me on to Nisha Dolan. She's an Irish author and... Is this her first novel? You probably know that better than me. Yep, it is. It's called Exciting Times. And, um, look, she does – she is a bit like Sally Rooney, who wrote Normal People, in that, like a lot of new authors now, um, and a lot of the – no, women and men, they write so well about young people and their insecurities and what you see on the outside and what is going on in the inside. And this is just a – it is a love story. But it's a really unusual love story. It involves several different people, and the main character is an Ar- a young Irish woman called Ava, and she has moved to Hong Kong to get a pretty crappy job as a teacher because she she's blaming Dublin for all her problems. She very soon after going there, she meets a wealthy young British banker, who um, she starts spending a lot of time with. He pays for everything. He lets her go and live in his very expensive apartment. And then there is a third main character, and her name is Edith. And she is half Chinese, half Singaporean, but has is also British educated. And it is just a wonderful story about Hong Kong. Anyone who's been to Hong Kong will just adore the way they describe it, the places they meet and what they do. And the relationships are brilliant. What is said on the outside, what is done on social media, the people she meets, the classic young wealthy Brits she meets. Fabulous book. I'm really, really enjoying it. In fact, I'm just about to finish it. Nisha Dolan, Exciting Times. It won't surprise you, Caro, to hear that that was one of our top five best-selling novels during lockdown, particularly the first lockdown when it first came out. It was just a good, easy read, and that's what people wanted. Um, good to hear. Um, Okay, so I have a screen. I'm really looking forward to hearing your review next week of In the Name of the Land, which um, you and David Stratton, your crush of the century, have um, said is very, very good. But I just wanted to fill in potties today about a little film that I found via Apple TV when I was up in Ballarat on Saturday night. Francesca and I thoroughly enjoyed and then completely dissected the acting performances of the cast in Finding Your Feet. Have you seen this movie? Um, I think I have. I think I have. Tell me again. It sounds okay. Really familiar. So it came. It came out. It premiered in the UK in two thousand and seventeen, and. I don't recall it being at the cinema because I tell you what, I would have been all over this like a rash because it's just up my alley and also the cast. You realise you're doing a caro, don't you? That I actually reviewed this to you three years ago when I saw it with Mum. Yes. I've now remembered. It's the dancing one. It's yes. so lovely. Yes, Keep yes. Going. 
Well, I'll be super quick, but I just I just wanted everybody to jump on Apple TV and see it because it, it's a lovely one for summer and people of all ages as well. Biff lives in a housing commission estate. She's been a free spirit for all her life and the sisters had a falling out because their lives just diverged so greatly over the years. And all of a sudden we have Lady Sandra living with the bohemian sister Biff. I just think Imelda Staunton captures so well, Caro, not only through humour and a really good script, but just by sheer great acting. You know, the facial expressions of despair of the woman who's been jilted the awkward body language when she's trying to kind of get into Biff's life, but it's just so alien for her to relax completely because clearly her entire life it's been staged. Her interaction with the other actors, great cast. Joanna Lumley's in it. Tim- Timothy Spall, um, who many will remember from Harry Potter days, and David Heyman, who actually was in Fisherman's Friend, if you remember when we saw that as well. Oh, but, yes, of course. But they... they, they um, Biff takes uh, Lady Sandra along to a dance class. It's a community dance hall, dance classes, and um, somewhat awkwardly Sandra begins to dance but then just discovers her inner Margot Fontaine and away she goes. And they put on a routine in the London streets for the Christmas shoppers. Social media goes off with all these oldies doing these somewhat improbable dance moves. And the highlight is, or the climax is, the group's invited to the Rome Biennale to perform on the big stage, all of these oldies doing, you know, all this fabulous dancing. Um, There's a tragedy, there's a drama, um, the sisters coming together after years of being apart and a decision about old versus new lives. I loved it. It's a fabulous, fabulous film and I'm sorry I didn't remember you um, reviewing it. Finding Your Feet on Apple iTunes. So, Caro, now we're going to talk about food. And I thought, given that we've done the cocktail cabinet, let's do the cocktail uh, pass around food that we love. Okay, well, I was going to do um, the Mary Beasley inspired smoked trout dip, where you um, where you add lots of different things to a piece of smoked trout. But again, because I'm in Sydney, and my brother Will has done this twice this week, this is the perfect accompaniment. And then my brother's Will's pickled cucumbers. Corrie, they are so easy. I reckon this is a great Christmas present. All he does, and you can add them to cheese, a salumi platter, charcuterie platter, have them on um, just a biscuit with a piece of cheese, have them with terrine or pate, two telegraph cucumbers, very thinly sliced, chuck two tablespoons of table salt on top of them, leave them for a few hours, covered in glad wrap in the fridge, Rinse them, lay them on a tea towel, and then you make your pickling syrup. Cup of water, a cup of white vinegar, add a tablespoon of good Chardonnay white wine vinegar, a squeeze of lemon, two heaped teaspoons of sugar. Cook all that up, let it cool, pour the cucumbers into a nice big jar, chuck one chilli, thinly sliced and de-seeded on top, pour the pickling syrup over, put them in the fridge, eat them straight away. They are beautiful. Um, that's great. It sounds like you've got a bit of company there. We can hear voices in the background. Hey, be quiet, oh, everyone. <laughs> Sorry about that. You, you go ahead now. <laughs> okay, so my, uh, my thing, this won't surprise you, are the old zucchini and halloumi fritters. Oh, halloumi, we were just talking about that. And this is super easy, everybody. Uh, you can prepare them the night before. They're the best pass-around secret because everybody falls in love with them and they think you're just a genius. About 300 grams, which is five, maybe five, six zucchini, um, and one onion, and you grate all that up. Do remember to squeeze your zucchini because there's a heap of water in them and you've got to get rid of all that liquid, so give them a good squeeze. 250 grams of alumi, which you also grate, uh, half a cup of plain flour, two teaspoons of grated lemon rind, two eggs, and then a bit of fresh dill, which you can also add on the top as a bit of a garnish as well as chopping it through the mix. And you just make the little balls, all of that together. You mix, mix it all up, put them into little patties or little balls. A good idea to refrigerate them for a little bit just to get them a bit colder and harder before you pop them in the fryer pan. This is where the time comes in. You know, you've got to turn each one and do all that. Um, dry, drain them on a paper towel. You can either serve them warm at that point or stick them in the fridge and serve them the next day when you've heated them up in the oven. They heat up really, really well. And you could make your own aioli if you wanted to, to top it on the top. I just, the other day when I did it for Coco's birthday, um, oh gosh, no garnish, no nothing, but I had a bit of tzatziki in the fridge. So I just popped a little bit of tzatziki and some chopped up dill. A winner, Caro, a winner. And in fact, I've, you've been known to eat quite a few of my zucchini and halloumis over the years. 
Well, I'm a very good guest, Corrie. You, you are. should not be surprised by that. Eat up, but, uh, eat up. Both the recipes will be on the show notes. The Will Wilson self-made-up recipe of his pickled cucumbers. They're just a bit lighter and nicer than the ones you buy and your beautiful zucchini fritters. Now, Corrie, am I allowed to be grumpy? Is it sure can. my turn this week? It is. Believe it or not, believe it or not, despite the lovely week I'm having, I was reminded again um, in remembering that this particular woman, in fact, moved out of Victoria. She was so traumatised by what happened. It was a story involving Jackson Williams, the 21-year-old local footballer who got blind drunk back in 2018, was walking through the streets of Melbourne and grabbed a a woman in her 30s and dragged her into Healy's Lane, jumped on top of her. Only Nothing worse happened only because she bit him and a passing by New Zealand policeman who was on holidays in Melbourne at the time scared him away. It was in court a few weeks ago. You might remember the female judge basically let him off I know. from an indecent assault charge, charge him with common assault. It doesn't look like he'll even go to jail. He'll get a community order. And this story, Corrie, has just disappeared. The vision is so disturbing, and yet the story has disappeared and the outrage lasted about one day, which is just really disappointing. That is so – I, I can't see why you're grumpy glib. about that. It sounds a bit glib to be grumpy about something like that um, when it's such a serious subject. But I guess my grumpiness derives from the fact that um, the story just disappeared. Yeah, well, we we should be highlighting all of these incidences, Cara. Well done, even if it is on our little podcast in our grumpy section. Well done, you. And I have to just mention, Cara, a big thank you to Visit Victoria and their Click for Vic campaign, who are terrific sponsors of our podcast. They're so enthusiastic about what we're doing, and we are enthusiastic about what they are doing. It's all about buying local and embracing Victorian business and exploring some new products and experiences to enjoy at home. Click for Vic is the perfect place to go for gifts this festive season. And, Caro, I have to tell you, I bought something again off Click for Vic the other night. I'm becoming a bit of an online guru here. I bought some Oak Dean uh, olive oil, which I can now add to my other Click for Vic olive oils, and I've decided over summer I'm going to have an olive oil tasting. Yeah, well, I thought that we could just gather a little group and we'll have some bread and everything and we can actually have a tasting and just talk about the different varieties. Oak Dean, of course, is in the Bellarine Peninsula. I've bought a couple of bottles. They'll be arriving soon and I will report in. And I wanted to also congratulate the Click for Vic gang for this terrific, terrific glossy lift out that fell out of my weekend Australian on the weekend. I'm so glad they went national with their... Uh, Click for Vic campaign. So this, I think it's probably about 16 pages. It's all about 200 plus gift ideas that people can buy. Visit Victoria.com. I don't know whether you got that up in Sydney, but it's, I hope you did. Gosh, that's where people should be buying from Victoria. Well, there's certainly a lot of support in that way. And everybody wants every state, particularly Victoria, to get back on their feet again. Thank you for that, Corrie. Now, um, do you want to kick off six quick questions? Um, yes, I do. I've just lost them momentarily. Hang on, Caro. So what are you doing differently now the silly season is upon us and restrictions have been eased? Well, I'm actually saying no to a lot more things and I'm not being crazy in the lead up to Christmas like I normally am. I've sort of let that go a bit in Sydney. But the thing that I've noticed, Corrie, is the diary again. I mean, I know I've mentioned this before, but I carry a diary everywhere. You know I have a paper diary and I have to consult it every day. I did quite enjoy not having to look at a diary, which I did for three months, and it wasn't such a bad thing. Pretty boring, but that's what I'm doing. Now, Corrie, Black Friday sales. I've seen you do a lot of social media on this. But you'll note I didn't call them Black Friday. Good call, bad call. It's a bad call in Australia to call it Black Friday because there's, for many older folk, there's memory of Black Friday, the terrible bushfires of the 1930s, and 71 Victorians died. But also... Black Saturday, it's just it just is a connection for Australians with bushfires. And I think it's also a Thanksgiving term that was devised in the US because the Friday after of the Thanksgiving holiday is traditionally a very quiet retail time. So when online shopping came about, the um the US retailers decided that they would in, invent or revisit this idea of Black Friday. Why in Victoria and Australia we're pulling it together as part of our package? I don't know. We called ours Happy Friday, Caro. Happy Friday, and we had 25% off all cookbooks for one day only. So there's no Black Friday happening in our house. 
I can tell you that. Well, and yet it's still happening at the same time. And um, according to a couple of your family members, it's it's overtaken um, the Boxing Day sales now, which is just extraordinary. Anyway, over to you. What's your favourite song about summer? Well, look, I was going to say Ventura Highway by America or Chelsea Morning by jo- Joni Mitchell, but I've got a newer one that the kids put me on to a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago now. It's called Summer by Josh Pike. We should be living like we lived that summer. I want to live like we lived in the summer. Huh? We should be living like we lived that summer. I want to live like we lived in the summer. Huh? We should be living like we lived that summer. I want to live like we lived in the summer. Huh? It is the most beautiful song. Oh, Miss it Jane's doing thumbs up to that. She likes that idea. It, it captures the sadness, the nostalgia of summer's past. It captures the romance and beauty of summer's present and the hope of future summers. You know that sort of evocative feeling at the end of a summer? You get that feeling every time, and it's such a beautiful song. Josh Pike, Summer, Corrie, I recommend it. Now, can you remember a childhood summer holiday when you became completely immersed in a book series? Yeah, I can. I must have been about nine, 10, maybe 10 or 11. The um, Sarah Gay Model Girl in Mayfair books. <laughs> How long ago? Oh, 10 or 11. Well, only about. They, my, grand, my grandmother had them. I don't know why. Um, and, uh, well, they were adult books, so she must have bought them for herself. They started in 1961. They were written in 1961 by a lady called Janie Scott. There were about four or five in the series, Sarah Gay Model Girl in Monte Carlo, Sarah Gay Model Girl in New York. And a couple of years ago, I thought I'd like to buy some for my daughters. And I went on Amazon and there are none available, but secondhand you can buy them for about 300 bucks. So I just thought, Sarah, it was lovely at the time, but you're a little bit expensive now. So I've had to let that one go. Caro, you would love them. <laughs> I would, but I'm, I'm sure they're dated. If I come across one, I'll let you know. Well, it's a bit like Marlo Thomas, you know, she was a career girl. And, you yeah, know, in I the know. 60s, there weren't a lot of them. <laughs> so it had, it had, it had its own um, – it made me want to become a model too, which uh, – yeah. Okay. Next one. Caro, which item of clothing did you most frequently wear in 2020? Oh, that's easy. The black T-shirt material, Marimekko dress that I bought on sale. Well, I bought it in early June, but I wore it all winter and now I'm wearing it all summer. I wore it in winter with various coats – and jumpers. Where and did scarf. you go? Where were you going that you would wear a dress? I thought you were going to say your runners or your leisure suit. Well, it was a it was a casual dress. Well, I went to work. I was going to three AW every week and Channel Nine twice a week, and I and into when we were doing the podcast in the studio, I would run into friends in the park and maybe have a coffee with them. Put my dress and on. In winter, I, <laughs> in winter, I wore them with boots, and in summer, I'm wearing wearing it with sandals. One hundred and forty nine dollars on sale. I thought you might. So, yeah, I thought you might talk about those poor little browbeaten runners of yours that you were talking about the other day when we were walking. Oh well, I wouldn't say that was so much a fashion item, um, but yes, no. Well, in fact, I'm asking you about a fashion item. Which item died in 2020? Well, for me personally, the handbag. Oh, yes, that's a good one. Did not touch one from March onward. But interestingly, um, I did a little bit of research for this. Uh, online, one of the top three items or top five clothing items bought during lockdown around the world was the handbag. People were going nuts. especially really? Yeah, especially for de- designer handbags. Well, I suppose it was a bit more affordable than a designer outfit. And also you might be a bit reticent to buy something. What size am I? Oh, my God, oh, my God. Whereas um, a handbag gave everyone the thrill of but not for me didn't go near one and now I've just got one out of the cupboard and I'm I'm not very happy about having my little handbag but anyway look coming out of lockdown down does have its positives including Caro Wilson in Sydney which is we wouldn't have thought that would happen a few months ago no it's been great and um, I look forward to regale you Corrie with more Sydney stories next week can't wait want the photos thanks for beaming down the line and thanks to Mogs for um, for being tiptoeing and being so quiet for an hour and thank you to our podcast sponsors uh, Click for Vic and Prince Wine Store and don't forget next week Tony Knoll 
will be with us as our cocktail cabinet advisor. And thanks to our listeners, of course, and you give us stars on your Apple podcast and that really helps us because it helps other people find the podcast and makes Carol and I feel really good about ourselves. Our Christmas tip to you is could you please teach your friends and family, especially older members of the family, to access podcasts? It's a good idea, Miss Jane, isn't it? You noticed I put that on there, Corrie. I know. I was just, I thought, what a great idea. I'm actually, yeah, good idea. Best gift I ever gave my dad was the knowledge of how to download a podcast. So just remember that. If you're not into all the, you know, actual bits and pieces, it's a lifelong gift. So true. And you'll never be lonely because you can have friends like Caro and I sitting on your kitchen bench when you make dinner. And thanks, everybody, for your feedback and comments. You can send any messages to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. Just look for the Don't Shoot pod. Uh, thanks again, Miss Jane, and lovely flowers on the table today, which Caro can't see. And Caro, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. This episode has been proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS, as in messenger, at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount.